Welcome everyone. While we try and um, get Christian sound working, we're having a little bit of a um, problem with that, but go ahead and letting everybody file in here while we set that up. Thank you for your patience. We'll be right with you. Caroline, can you hear me? I can hear you now, yes. Okay. Uh, your screen isn't fully sharing, but I think it's... No, because I stopped it. So should I start again? Yeah, go ahead and start again. Everybody's with us. Okay. Um, sorry, it sounds like that um, that first 35 seconds didn't, didn't come through. I apologize. Uh, but I was basically saying that we normally do this on about the 13th of the of the month. This one's a little bit later, although not a lot has changed. Uh, the major issue that we've got coming up, uh, and it's actually this week, is the, uh, is the Federal Reserve um, meeting, which is usually held off-site at Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Uh, this year, it'll probably be mostly done um, uh, virtually, but that's a time when typically any major policy changes by the Fed are announced by the work, by uh, by the um, by the by the Fed, um, I'm just just sort of making sure I can, you can hear still hear me. So uh, Carolyn, just send me a text message if some for some reason nothing's going on. Uh, obviously, the markets have had a continued good good run. We're up about 19% for the year. Uh, we've had um, we've had a kind of a steady increase, uh, pretty much unbroken since uh, back in uh, in February, where we had a you know very very mild correction in the stock markets, came off about seven or eight percent since then. It's been pretty onward and upward. Um, so this is really about you know what's uh, what do we see going forward, and as the topic uh, described, you know what is what has Delta done to uh, to everything. Um, so let's just jump in straight with those. Um, I have to just pause for a minute for those of you of a certain age. Uh, very sad news today that Charlie Watts part of passed away just uh, 80 and a couple of months. <coughs> and uh, yeah, I, for those of you that know him, I'm sure you kind of have your own fond memories of, of this guy. For those of you who don't, you've got something to look forward to. Uh, but I just wanted to sort of let that, that, uh, that um, not, not pass. These, these, these guys have um, uh, been part of our lives for a very long time. Okay, so the three big issues. Uh, other than Charlie Watts won't be able to open up on sympathy for the devil like the way he did, uh, is the, the Delta wave has definitely pushed the full opening back. Uh, for those of you sort of cast back to when we were talking about this in April, May, June, we were pretty convinced that the effects of the vaccination, which was going extremely well, would, uh, would, would mean gradual, you know, more regular, steady reopenings over the summer. I think a couple of things have held that back. You know, one is that there's a labor force which is not too excited to go back to low paying client facing um, jobs where they just have no choice but to be in front of a lot of people that affects the leisure industry, hotel industry, and a few others which uh, uh, restaurants and so on which uh, have really taken the headlines for having shortage of workers, It's not a shortage of workers, for the economy as a whole it's just for some of those businesses which are at the lower end of the pay scale. But anyway, we thought that would slowly come back and Delta has definitely dealt that uh, a bit of a blow. Um, the next big discussion, which uh, is not necessarily new, but it's just expect to hear a lot about it for the next few months, is the Fed tapering. Again, all tapering means is that the Fed is buying $120 billion of securities every month, about 80 of that in treasuries. Um, and about the, the rest in mortgage-backed securities. So the, the Fed owns roughly, depending on the maturity, about 30% of the treasury market right now um, uh, of uh, the long, anything over two years. Uh, so they're quite an, quite an important buyer in the market. Uh, and it's a question of when they start to reduce that. And they'll reduce it very slowly. And as I've explained before, it doesn't mean they stop buying from one day to the next. It doesn't even mean that they stop buying less one day to the next. Uh, probably what they'll start to do is take the interest payments, which are off their $6 trillion 
balance sheet and not reinvest those back into the market. So that begins to sort of, you know, take some buying power away, but it'll be very slow uh, and very gradual. And then the big discussion over the summer, those of you who are following us in the, in the, in the blog was, uh, you know, inflation, temporary or structural, sorry, that's meant to say or structural, not of structural. Um, and that's a debate which is, you know, very much uh, going on right now. Uh, you know, what parts of the uh, economy have changed, what parts where there might have been suppressed inflation in the past uh, might be coming through um, and what might turn out to be ephemeral and what might turn out to be a little bit more longer lasting. Uh, consumer is coming back, uh, massive amount of savings. We've, we've discussed that uh, in the past, that's still there. I don't think all of it's gonna bound right back into overnight spending, as we've said in the past, with the, you know, the, the last year has been, up to about two months ago, has been people buying things, you know, products. So that's why, you know, Amazon got overloaded and, uh, you know, was a, was a great stock and why there's been, uh, supply issues in the ports and on the rails and on the barges and on the trucks is because they're moving so much stuff around mostly from out of the country to everyone's doorstep and i think part of that product buying splurges over um but there's a huge pent up uh, still in services now the difference with that though is that people don't go up and make up for a year's worth of buying in service you don't just suddenly go out and eat out 30 times in a row to make up for all the times you haven't in the last year but so it won't have quite the same sort of accelerated ski slope type of curve, but services is to very much, you know, the next area to start moving and, and opening. It's already showing up, but, but I think there's you know, more to come. I will say the fiscal expansion, uh, I'm not a great bull that this is going to be as big as the Democrats are talking about. Um, the uh, infrastructure bill, heck of a lot smaller than it looked on paper. It is over you know, five, 10 years. It wasn't a billion trillion, it was more like 500 million billion. They just moved it from different areas that had underspent in the last year or so. Uh, and it is spread out over a long time, it takes a long time to build a bridge, mend a road, uh, put a new airport slip road in, or uh, you know, re re repair potholes and all those type of things. This is, this is the kind of hard infrastructure bill, the soft infrastructure bill you know, has got some dedicated to uh, helping child support and early uh, uh, early pre-kindergarten pre support and things like that. There's something in there for internet. I don't think it's a particularly big deal. But anyway, the, the, that that bill is gone and done, and everyone expecting that. What what now, of course, is in debate is the continuing resolution on this three and a half trillion dollar uh, um, uh, bill, which can be passed just by a you know a simple majority in the Senate. Um, I think this is going to get watered down a lot over the next uh, couple of months. And there's a couple of months that this stuff's going to be sort of in, in abeyance and under discussion. During that time, we've got the uh, debt ceiling uh, overhanging us, and, and I'm sure that will get passed, but that's another area where there's a lot of negotiation to be done. And, um, you know, what you know, we're discussing with one of our clients early in the week was that uh, what does this debacle in Afghanistan mean for Biden's ability to pass a bill like this? You know, at one point it can have a lot of momentum and then that can kind of peel away both with the kind of more fiscal hawk side of the Democratic Party, but also the progressive side. We feel they're maybe not getting as much as they would like. So anyway, the fiscal, the fiscal side, I think, is uh, going to peter out quite a lot. Uh, so, you know, earlier in the year, back in January, there was this discussion about a big Biden spending plan coming through. The first one did come through, but uh, you know uh, that the the idea that there was going to be this massive spending uh, by the Democrats, uh, I think, is long long past. We're not quite back to kind of fiscal rectitude, and uh, you know, still going to be running deficits for a while. But there's certainly the idea that the fiscal expansion is going to be ongoing and create kind of inflationary pressures. I think is uh, is is very unlikely. Employment steadily. Increasing, we had two num two back-to-back -back months of a million uh, after a few disappointing months before that, um, and the claims side, which I write about weekly, just because the number is still while it's three hundred and fifty thousand and it peaked uh, most of last end of last back end of last year was seven eight hundred thousand. I think it actually peaked at four and a half million. Uh, this is still a very very high number. I mean, uh, what's a steady state? Well, between. 2011 and 2000 and early 2020, the average claims number uh, on a weekly basis was about 250,000. 
so we're still 120,000 north of that. So there's a lot, you know, still to be done on the claims side, but the jobs numbers are are increasing. Uh, the Fed is still very much on data watch. I expect there'll be some news coming out of Jackson Hole. I don't expect it to be revolutionary. Uh, they still think that inflation is temporary. I think they're largely correct. Uh, and they would continue to want it to run high. Now, what does high mean? Typically, the target in the past has been 2%. You know, the guess is they don't stipulate it, but it would be, you know, somewhere between 3% for a while. But where's 3% for a year or six months? I don't know. But uh, certainly the last Fed minutes did show that there's enough people in the, on the FOMC who are uh, looking at inflation and some people want to taper early. Some people are content to let it go a little bit further. But this debate is alive and running in the Fed. Um, I kind of think that what's likely to happen is uh, we'll see some Fed tapering. I'll kind of split the difference between late this year and next year and say early next year. Um, I don't think it matters very much. It's, it's, it's an announcement rather than a big, you know, big number, which is going to affect all the capital markets. Uh, but typically a rate increase would come sometime, you know, nine months after that. But throughout this all, remember, there's incredibly liquid market, uh, a lot of liquidity still in the market. Uh, we're not going to see a taper tantrum like we did in 2013 when real rates spiked up. Right now, real rates are going the other way. They're, they're incredibly uh, uh, loose, you know, given the inflation prints we've been having. So no repeat of that. And we'll kind of wait for 2022 to see any uh, change in the uh, Fed funds increase. Yeah, I mean, this is really the story with Delta. My God, look at that. In the US, uh, this is just seven day rolling averages of new cases. I mean, a slightly better chance if you do it, you know, if you do it as per capita or per hundred thousand, then we don't look quite as bad. But as you know, we went, we were at about eight or nine thousand cases a day uh, back in June and July, and now we're at one hundred and forty thousand. So uh, that's 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 enough to get people a little concerned about going out and fully engaging with the economy. Yeah, we absolutely know that COVID, uh, Delta nineteen, thankfully, is not lethal as the, the original COVID. So hospitalizations are not up 13, 14 times like the cases are, and deaths are not up anything like that. So, you know, the, the basic idea is that, of course, the, uh, you know, the vaccination works, not 100% for everybody, but it does seem to stop and arrest the severity of the caseload. But I think what, for consumer point of view, it's still a likelihood that you're going to get sick or um, you know, certainly a bigger likelihood than you were a few months ago. And that, therefore, I think the full engagement in the economy is, is that's what's taken a back seat. Yeah, uh, hey, you know, it's in a few states and you know the story as well as I do. It tends to be in uh, states with low vaccination rates. Um, this is where mostly people are getting hit. I mean, there are obviously people who've had it and get it again or had or had been vaccinated and get it again, but I think largely it's an unvaccinated story. Um, and you've seen these kind of climbs in, uh, in Florida. T California has sort of <laughs> surprisingly, uh, you know, come up quite a bit. Um, obviously, it's a better vaccinated state than Texas and Florida. Aren't, aren't the sort of weird mask mandates that they're, that they're trying to pass in Florida and Texas? I don't have any mask mandates. But anyway, the numbers are, you know, certainly creeping up. And um, I think Right now we'll start to see when we saw Missouri and Alabama a few months ago look like this. They've actually tailed off a little bit. So whether it's herd immunity or the Delta just kind of just manages to sort of peter out or it kind of tops out uh, seems to be the case, but we're not quite at that rate yet with the with these states. Um, the good news is that the second GDP came numbers came out and we just, uh, the US has achieved something which um, I think only one other major economy has achieved, which is that we've now surpassed the pre-COVID highs. So the top line is nominal GDP. This is actually what the US produces every year, about 22 trillion. And you can see that it's uh, it comfortably exceeded the, the prior high just before uh, you know this thin recession line took grip and, and it went down enormously. Very unusual to get a decline in nominal GDP. There you go, we had one other one. In, in nearly 70, 80 years. So uh, we've lived through two of them within 10 years, 15 years. Um, but real GDP, obviously, you can get a flat or a downtick a little bit more often, but that too has increased. So uh, before uh, above its uh, prior highs. So in both cases, I think we're looking at a story that 
um, that the, the, the US economy has done quite well out of this. And why not? It's pushed the most money at, at the problem, rightly, I think. Um, the big kind of EU blocks uh, and Japan <clears throat> were a bit slower off the mark. And so their uh, recovery is, is, of course, a bit slower. Um, a few months ago, if you kind of look at this top green line, I think it is, I'm a bit colorblind, but it's not the blue block, but that's sure. Uh, you know, the, the Atlanta GDP now guys who look at real-time GDP, they've got a pretty good record. You know, we're looking at uh, eight, nine percent uh, GDP growth. And we had two back-to-backs of about 6.3 and 6.5. The current estimate for the year is about six. Um, the Fed's expecting seven. So I that, that was their last projection in the summary of economic uh, projections, I think back in June. Surprised they didn't notch it down, but I think uh, they probably will obviously for the next time round. Uh, I mean, it's not too bad, 6% versus 7%. It's going to start moving down to these levels, of course, pretty quickly after that. But this is still you know, uh, an economy in full recovery mode. Remember, we still haven't got anything like the number of people that we had working before. We're still about 8 million people who were working in February in 2020 and are not today. The inflation numbers, now we've kind of mentioned that uh, between the delta and taper and inflation, we're gonna <laughs> cover all three pretty much off the bat, but uh, kind of we're in the camp that it's probably, I'll go further, overwhelmingly temporary inflation. Um, there are some things which might point to changes in structural inflation. The big one I think there is whether or not China as a low cost producer of intermediate goods to the US is no longer as competitive as it was. And there's certainly some arguments for that. And some companies are moving to even lower wage economies. Uh, and I could see that some people might argue that uh, that, that kind of arbitrage of low, lab low wage labor is uh, perhaps not going to be as forceful as it was. But yeah, but in other things, I think, you know, here we're, we're really seeing a kind of a temporary uh, move. So I put in the monthly increase, this is monthly, one, over, one, one month over month, one month for you know, COVID infect, affected uh, parts of the economy. And then what the yearly increase was in June and what they've been in July. Basically, where you see a red number, it means it's decelerated from the June numbers. So used cars, which were obviously on a, on a street to uh, start overtaking the price of new, new cars, was very much a supply problem, as, as, as we mentioned earlier. Some of the car rental companies were scrambling around trying to uh, replenish their fleets, which they sold off a year ago. So used car prices went up. Good time to sell a used car, bad time to buy one. Bad time to rent a car too, uh, which you can see down at the bottom, which is that uh, it was up 5% month on month, 87% on a yearly basis, but it's moderated a little bit, 73%. I mean, I do think these are entirely demand and demand and supply uh, based. Uh, either the supply will increase as the uh, you know, new cars uh, come more online. And there has been actually a bit of a squeeze in new car production. Might've seen last week that Toyota announced a, a worldwide production reduction. Of, they, they produce about 900,000 cars a month and they were gonna take it down to about 600,000 because of the semiconductor uh, um, shortage. And I think that there's been a bit of a, a, a problem with, with new car supply. Uh, but eventually what will happen in a market as clean as car rental, it's like, how many cars have you got? How many people want to buy them, use them? And right now there's more people wanting to use them than the cars that they've got. But eventually this is not an industry which will sustain 87% increases in uh, year over year. People just make it totally um, unrealistic to go on vacation anywhere. So that will come back into balance. Um, gas is very much uh, an oil story. It was very depressed a year ago. It's, it's getting better right now. Uh, so we saw, you know, 2% increase month over month. Uh, by the way, this gas also includes uh, taxes. So, uh, you know, there's, there's a component in there, which is, uh, which are tax increases, some of which are CPI linked. Um, lodging again is eased off a little bit. The food away, that's basically restaurants. Um, and, uh, it's, it's actually restaurants where you pay for the food after you've eaten it, as opposed to paying for the food before you've eaten it, which is in a different category. That one, which is kind of the Dunkin' Donuts and In-N-Out Burgers and McDonald's and all those kind of things, haven't seen the same sort of price uh, pressures, but the food away component has, because obviously they have a higher service component to them. So that, that area has uh, 
is still, yeah, it's a little high, 4%. Uh, normally that business runs at more like 2% uh, annual inflation that'll probably come down. But anyway, I think the point about this is that some of these very affected parts of the economy, which you can see are kind of COVID related, the price increases, while not back to trend, are easing off. Uh, these are also perhaps in more graphical form. You know, for example, this black line, that's, that's car rental, as you can see, it just kind of chugged along. Uh, and sort of, you know, here it is on the index. It was an index of 120 in 20, 2009. It was an index of 120 in 2019. Effectively, there was not a single price change for, uh, for car and truck rental over over a decade. And that's probably more like what what it's what it's like. Uh, price of this blue one is airline fares dropped in real terms. So these spikes from the bottom are because of these big collapses that they saw last year. And some of them, I think, will start to you know, trend much more closer to their long-term trends. So again, very much supply was constrained, demand suddenly boosted. They were not in a good position to respond to that. They responded with price increases, but they won't be able to do that uh, for much longer because it'll just drive people away. I mean, at some point you say, well, I'm, there's no way I can uh, afford a car rental you know, $150 a day. I don't know, we have some people who went to Hawaii and told us that the daily rate was, you know, un unbelievable. Uh, it will just kill uh, the various vacation markets. So that you know, just won't happen. Uh, but the inflation numbers, they, they look weird. <laughs> you know, on a, this is, I've just taken the moving average, the, the monthly number, which is 0 0.65. You can't really see at the end there, but it's actually down. It did hit 0.8 and uh, it actually a little hooked down from one month to another. And then just the three-month moving average on core inflation. So you can see that, hey, this, these look really out of whack, you know, compared to what we've had since 1981, uh, during which time we've had an almost, you know, 40-year progression of very, very low prices. Sure, you get increases every now and then, you know, coming into recession, coming out of recession, things like that. And we obviously had de 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 disinflation, deflation back in 2009, but then the Fed never had a chance to get it much above one and a half percent for you know nearly 10 years so i i perfectly understand that these stick out like a sore thumb and that makes for nice headlines you know highest inflation in 25 35 pick your starting number year um but i do think that <laughs> we've also this is a recession unlike any, any others it's not caused by a banking problem it's not caused by a credit problem it's not caused by too much money, easy money, or uh, by housing, which are the typical components of a recession problem, a recession causation. Uh, so we know what caused it this time. Um, it, was, it was the elimination of demand demand side and the shutting down the supply side. So um, I do think these will, you know, moderate. Uh, they're not about to suddenly spike up and look like they did in the uh, 70s uh, and early 80s. Um, and this is one of the reasons why we say that. This is the ISM Manufacturing Institution of Supply Management. So they survey their, their clients on the servicing side, on the manufacturing side. One of the questions they ask is, what are you seeing for input prices? In other words, you know, if you're a, if you're a manufacturer making I don't know, stoves or something and your steel supply is going up, it's going to be a big hit to your margins. So they're asked about what what kind of they're, they're seeing on the supply side of the price equation and you can see that they got they got a little surprised and they you know but it used to be that around half of them saw a price increase and half of them didn't now will 85 percent of them see a price increase but it has moderated in other words if this kept going one might be a little bit more of a concern but the fact that it's rolling over even the slightest bit sort of tells me that some of these supply problems are beginning to work themselves out uh, this was an, a great example. Now, normally no one ever talks about lumber prices unless you're in the framing and house building business or do it yourself market. And typically, you know, they just bumble along at, you know, two or $300 per, uh, per um, cube, I think a uh, thousand cubic feet or something. I can't remember what the exact thing is, but also this is the futures market. You can see it from the CME up here. And people have told me that it's a very, very thin market. Most people buy their lumber directly from the mills on long-term contracts. So the, so the futures market is only a very, very small part of the available market. So it gets squeezed and, uh, and 
and uh, you know opens up regularly. Uh, and what happened last year, of course, was that the mill shut down. Um, suddenly, the spot price, which isn't very efficient to begin with, spiked up. Hence, all the headlines. You know, builders went into a tizzy, and uh, and then since then, it was a pretty easy market to get back into equilibrium. It doesn't. There's plenty of trees in in, in the United States. There's lots of lumber. Uh, it just needed to be cut and uh, and and sent to the mills. And so there we go. It's right back down to, you know, uh, almost 2018 levels. Now, to me, this kind of this is an extreme example, but it's the kind of thing you're going to see and see more of the supply come back, which will ease some of the inflation problems. We've also seen logistics have been a huge problem in this in this market. You know, the for example, the Los Angeles Long Beach port, which is I think is the biggest port in the United States, certainly on the Western seaboard by a long way. You know, you normally a ship turns up with a container full of stuff from Shanghai and it waits about two hours to get on to get unloaded. And right now it's eight days. I think there's still some ships out here, you know, out uh, outside San Francisco trying to get into Oakland. There's these the just delays, logistical delays with uh, too many, <clears throat> too many uh, um, containers, uh, you know, not available or um, you know, not enough people available to work them, uh, and too much demand coming into the economy and uh, to the into into the country, and just the capacity of the uh, of the ports hasn't hasn't kept up. But you can see here that some of the prices really spiked. This is air freight and road and rail. And air freight's interesting because about 70, 80 percent of air freight is carried in passenger aircraft. So yes, there are the kind of the X flying tigers dedicated. UPS, FedEx planes just full of stuff, no, no, no seats, but an awful lot of stuff. I think you know 70, 80%, and I I'm roughly right on that. I'm not, you know, it's not too too much wrong. It's just stuff that's put in holds on regular passenger aircraft. So uh, if that goes down, then that means there's fewer flights, you know, going around, which means that the spot rate for the air freight goes up and you have to go to a dedicated car carrier. So that's why we're looking at sort of hundred percent increases for both road and uh, rail price freight. But uh, as you can see, it's, it's come down quite a bit now. House prices too, uh, the, this is the house price change year over year, simply not sustainable. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of reasons we wrote about in the blog last week, so I don't want to talk about it unless you want to, but um, the, the, the house price inflation you know, really took off as people started to move around. Mortgage rates came down, it made the affordability index uh, equation look look better because you know, mortgage look at your mortgage payments versus a rental it looked it looked better for a while uh, inventory was fairly low new houses had uh, had new house starts had declined precipitously last summer it took some while to get back up to speed again they are pretty much where they were before uh, this this um, this recession but it uh, but you know in the meantime if, you, if supply couldn't keep up um, it meant that the uh, that showed up in the prices. And I think that you know, here we're showing 17% increase year over year in, in prices, 10% for condo. The normal numbers, I mean, housing is a fairly good investment. Uh, you know, normally they're gonna come in, as you can see, there's you know, blue, blue uh, the, it's really the green line actually that matters. It's um, you know, three, 5% inflation, uh, house price inflation. Um, so this 17% is likely to roll over. And we can see it here, where you know the University of Michigan confidence indicator. One of their questions they ask is, "Do you think it's a good time to buy a house, um, or rather, sorry, bad time to buy a house?" And uh, you know, normally about thirty-five percent, for whatever reason, say it's a bad time. You know, in good times, it'll go down as low as twenty percent. Well, now it's sixty-two. So, I mean, that essentially means that the demand side is going to choke off really quickly. People are making this. Uh, calculation that it's not worth buying uh, a house at these kind of escalated prices. They may not even qualify for a mortgage anymore. Uh, so uh, that that people are definitely changing their mind on 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 housing, and so like the house prices like to go in, in steady going to more sort of steady state. Uh, wage inflation. This is to me is really key. You can have price inflation, but until you get wage inflation, then, then you really only have one side of the price equation that matters. People can pump up their prices. You can go and ask $100 for a hot dog. No one's going to buy it. But they, 
but but um, but if wage inflation starts to come up and people instead of earning you know twenty dollars an hour, thirty, forty, fifty, suddenly start seeing big increases, then then you can kind of get a a wage push inflation. But I've always felt I still feel pretty strongly that wage inflation is very very subdued. We've seen some increases again in those industries which are mostly low paying we're talking about 12 14 dollars an hour wages uh, against the average of 21 22 a lot of it's part-time uh, leisure hospitality retail trade transportation and warehousing so those are you know those where we've seen increases not in the two to three percent range we've seen for the rest of the economy uh, but in places where again i think employers are trying to entice people back and they're giving them uh, some 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 uh, some wage increases, but as you can see, normally all three of these industries kind of tick along the two percent number, which is roughly what it is for everybody else. So again, I think the wage inflation is at the low end, probably fairly temporary, unless something big has changed and there's a lot more bargaining power. I don't mean temporary bargaining power; I mean permanent bargaining power by people who are you know earning wages and salaries. But boy, that would reverse a forty-year trend, and there's no sign of it at the moment. Um, and also, I think uh, this is this is really we've got we're difference between wages, which is what people say they earn and they do earn perhaps. But then there's employer costs. How much does it? How much does it actually cost an employer to have a have a um, an employee on on site? And that number is increasing at about three point two percent. Again, we've seen that before up here, and it's certainly you know higher. It's kind of gradually got up. In 2013 uh, to now, but I just don't think uh, that's going to sustain um, for very long. And again, it would to get to wage inflation, that number would have to be higher and stay higher for quite a little, quite a bit higher, quite a bit longer. So um, yeah, this is the difference between 3.2 is what employers are actually seeing, and 3.8, which is what all employees are saying. Um, probably the difference is because. Uh, these guys are working less hours, and um, and the, this is actually what the bill, the three point two that they're showing. Yeah, this is just another, you know, just can't drive home enough how uh, low, how how much pressure there's been under wages and salaries for years. Uh, so here's the you know black line is just the good old CPI, uh, and in real terms, wages have only gone up ten percent for all civilian workers and for you know the wages and salaries it's only six percent the difference between six percent is what you get in cash the ten percent is what you get with cash plus benefits and the benefits can be healthcare being an obvious one savings 401k plans vacation whatever you know so uh so so the real increase take-home pay is up a good old six percent in the last uh, 20 years and that's really that's the story and and, and, I, and I don't see this changing very surprised it's already you know ticked down and you'd have to see some big strikes or some big pay awards or something like that happening uh, for this equation to change which would then change the wage inflation side of things which would then accelerate the price inflation side of things but i don't see those first two things happening job numbers uh i mentioned you know two good prints so we had you know a million I'm sure uh, the Biden administration and Powell, you know, breathe a bit of a sigh of relief because it wasn't getting there before. Uh, unemployment rates about 5.4. I think the Fed has in its mind more like three, three and a half. Doesn't mean that they'll wait until it gets to three and a half, but that's essentially what they see as closer to full employment. Um, I always put in this number, the black no 9.2 percent, because this is the underemployed rate, and that's uh, you know still you know it's. Um, back to 2015 levels. So we still have a lot of spare uh, labor capacity in this country. I'm gonna skip over that. Um, so with the uh, inflation story, you know, the, with inflation sort of ticking up again temporarily, what we've got is this incredibly low uh, real rate on treasuries. So the Annual number of inflation, the one I gave you before was a three month moving average. This is just recently the most, the most recent 12 month print. I, again, I don't think it's going to sustain, but we've got a 5.2% uh, inflation print and 10 year treasury was at 125, which means that you know, there's negative real borrowing costs here for treasuries. Treasuries are yielding 
negative 3% right now, which means they're not a particularly good investment. They're not, uh, they're, they're certainly not compensating you for inflation. And the only, th the only reason to buy uh, a 10-year treasury with a negative real rate of return is if you think prices are going to drop a lot more. Um, then it makes sense. But otherwise, um, it's more of a kind of a, a safety trade. And you know, with the Fed keeping rates low, I think we're going to have a period where we're at, just as we were in 2011 for a while, certainly during the Great Recession, but most notably back in the 70s, where we've got real negative real rates of return. Uh, on uh, on at least 10-year treasuries and quite a lot of the bond market as well. So, you know, if one of the goals in investment is to, is to maintain your purchasing power over time, then uh, bonds can't, can't do it right now. Um, it might look better and you know, eventually this inflation number will for sure come down. But right now the gap doesn't make it particularly attractive to jump into bonds. The other thing we've seen is uh, really with the story of the market, instead of it, being a wide, broad, diverse, dispersed recovery, which affects everybody, um, which is what we saw up until about May. And this black line is small caps. And if you believe that the economy is sort of on a broad expansion footing, you want to be in small caps because it affects more of the you know, broader economy. And uh, you know, a large part of the US population, almost 50% works in companies with less than 200 employees. So if you want to see how it all permeates across the economy, you want to see small, you want, and you think that that's what's going to happen, that part of the economy is going to thrive, then small caps are a great place to be. It's exactly what we saw up until about June, where small caps are up about 25%. And then last year's leaders, the top five, were only up, only up about 5%. Uh, since then, we've seen it, you know, it flip around. And right now, the top five companies, so this is Microsoft, Facebook, uh, Google, Amazon, and I always miss one. Um, yeah, we know them. Yeah. <laughs> um, missing Google. Uh, anyway, the top big five tech companies, um, which are roughly 30% of the market, had a tremendous uh, run in 2020. They're obviously huge beneficiaries of, of COVID. Um, and right now they've, they've had another kind of accelerated returns. They've really done well uh, in the last couple of months. Why? Two reasons. First of all, state the obvious. They reported some incredible earnings, incredible earnings numbers. So these were you know, companies which were showing 12, 15% top line growth, 12, 15% earnings per share growth, you know, in a market which was more likely seeing sort of eight, you know, eight, seven, eight percent. So they, they definitely earned their way to the top. And um, also because if there's a growth fear, which is kind of what happened, we saw more, more concerns that the growth wouldn't be as high as people thought. And we saw that with the expectations, we'd see a 7% GDP rate. So it's actually more like six. So therefore people will start to pay up the growth. And also the longer the people feel that rates stay low, and obviously the 10 year rate came down from about 170 in May to about 125, the more attractive these um, these kind of tech companies look because their earnings go, you can discount their earnings at a lower rate for longer. So we have seen a bit of a rotation. Now, all of our investors are in all of this. So, uh, you know, we, we haven't, you know, and the dispersion isn't that great, but it is interesting, you know, 22 versus the worst one here is 17%. But, um, but, but, but it has shown a slight change in leadership. I would mention the emerging market one. Actually, I'm going to talk about that in a second. So I just kind of put that down there because that had a very good run in the end of 2020 and has since been a little disappointing. These are just the, uh, these are total returns of the S&P. So this takes the price changes plus the dividends. No, never forget the dividends. They're about, you know, one and a half, two percent of total returns. And over the 20 year, the 20 year number now is about 9%. It was quite a bit lower than that. You know, it's about, five, you can't really see on this graph, but it's about five or 6% a few years ago, just because it was recovering from two big crashes, uh, you know, in, in the dot-com and then the global financial um, uh, meltdown in 2008. Um, that's sort of our long-term working number. The one-year number obviously is gonna be all over the place and it's just come off a, 70% number a few a few months ago, just because it, it measured from the bottom in of April last year to April, May this year. 
uh, it was a big increase. It's still pretty high, 33%. But it's dragged up the three-year number, 18%. That's normally a, a quite a bit lower than that. 17% for the five-year and 10-year for the 17. So if you'd just been in the S&P 500 uh, and nothing else, uh, you'd have had some pretty bumpy rides along the way for sure. Uh, but if you'd kind of, and you'd have had a negative number on your 10 year for about a year, <laughs> in a, every, every day you looked at it for well over a year, it have showed a negative return for the 10 year number, but that's now, you know, 17%. But I would say that the, num the number we put in for the S&P is more like this, you know, nine, nine, 10, because it's much better to plan for this and get this as opposed to the other way around. Now, emerging markets, <laughs> we've dialed back our emerging markets exposure quite a bit this year. Um, what's the story? It's all China. And it's China, two things. China's slowing down. It's, uh, you know, the headline GDP numbers are short, you know, six, seven percent. That's what the government prints. That's what they want. Um, but it is definitely, you know, slowing down and we can see it in other kind of measures of the economy. Um, there's a geopolitical issue with China. Certainly, I think people are you know, scratching their heads and say just how ambitious are they in terms of uh, territorial geographical expansion? What are they prepared to do to make that happen? Uh, you know, is it saber rattling? Is it rat rattling? Is it soft democracy? Is it more belt and road? But whatever it is, it's certainly not China just staying in an autarkic state and not willing to or wanting to expand its influence beyond its borders. There's something you know, more that's going on. And the third reason is that <laughs> an extraordinary series of acts, starting with uh, the payment group Ant last September, October, China has really tilted at some of these tech and growth companies. And by tilting, I mean said, we don't like the way you guys are building your business. We don't like the way you guys talk about other parts of the Chinese economy. We don't like the fact that you're paying people low wages uh, and we're gonna take you down a notch or two. So they've, um, they've done that in the education market, the private tuition tutoring market was worth about $100 billion with a stroke of a pen or a stroke of a, uh, a word in a, in, a, in a newspaper. They made it a nonprofit business. So they took it down right down to $25 billion, put some restrictions and regulations around it, pretty much eliminated it. And there were three or four public companies that were big in that, they, they collapsed. Um, then there was a data privacy thing with, uh, with Didi, which is equivalent of Uber, which Uber holds a stake in, <laughs> that got taken down. Um, and then some of the tech companies, uh, again, I think got hit last week uh, with, um, you know, Al Alibaba again was down eight or 9%. So uh, <clears throat> yeah, I think what they're trying to do is, um, is regulate and make sure that these, these, these businesses don't get, you know, don't get out of line with the uh, Communist Party uh, manifestos and desires. And then we've got Xi Jinping <clears throat> probably looking to consolidate his power. He's going to seek a third term. Had the constitution changed so he can do that. It's in 2022. And I think he's going to appeal to, uh, you know, more people, which means taking on some of these vested interests. And China is very much a kind of a Manichaean type of economy in a state. <clears throat> it's got the largest number of billionaires, well over a thousand. But it's also got 600 million people who live on $120 a month. So, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's kind of dealing with a, with a very direct, a very sort of, you know, polar opposites of incredible uh, urban, educated, technical wealth and, uh, and its complete opposite in the rural countryside. So uh, that's made us a bit nervous about China because emerging markets is basically China. Uh, there, are other there are other countries in there, but they're not nearly as important. Um, and here we've got the, uh, the, what they call the uh, NASDAQ uh, um, Golden Dragon Index. I'm trying to look up what to see, but basically uh, tech companies that have listed in, in, uh, in the US um, as, not as ADRs, but, as, but essentially you know, claims on, on the underlying uh, uh, Chinese stocks. And so it's a massive bear market here. You can see it's, you know, the index went from 275 to 139. And this has all been uh, pretty much as a result of the uh, government interference on the China side. I don't know how that's going to end up, but right now I don't think we're getting paid enough to be there. 
So a uh, quick summary, uh, reopening, yeah, for sure delayed over the Delta. September should improve now. I'm saying that for a couple of months, but I think you know, with the schools opening, that changes the equations quite a bit. We've got the $300 a month child support uh, pro program in place. That's gonna help uh, the working population, which um, between 25 and 35, particularly for women who exited the workforce because they couldn't find the, uh, uh, the uh, home care they needed. Consumers still going to uh, have some catch up, especially in services. Fed's going to keep track of the wage inflation. We've discussed that enough. I think price inflation is mostly, uh, mostly temporary, although, you know, willing to see if that changes to something more structural, but the wage side you know, certainly isn't coming through on a broad basis. Fiscal, I could say we could sort of almost not write that off, but it's just going to be a lot less important than we thought it was a few months ago. Um, we can th I think in this market, that's going to be growth is going to do well. That's why we uh, upped some of our tech and growth businesses and downed some of our value stocks like uh, like Berkshire Hathaway. And I think uh, the Fed will continue to uh, signal very, very clearly. They don't want a repeat of 2013 where the signals got a little bit crossed and the market got anxious. Uh, but the first thing they're going to do is stop reinvesting and then they'll taper. Um, and then if we see any rate increases, it'll be 2022. So um, that's, that's the outlook. I think we're, you know, the market has done pretty well. I'm going to stop sharing here. <clears throat> um, feel pretty confident about this level. I know obviously Delta's thrown us a bit of a, a, um, a, a tough hand when it comes to the, the market reopening, but the stocks are, um, are still uh, growing and, and earnings are, have done incredibly well. We had one of the you know, best earnings seasons ever. Uh, literally, I think 80% of the companies either beat their earnings or, uh, or, or, and or showed increased estimates for the current quarter. So it was a very good, it was a very good earning season and some of the, and some of the stocks became uh, cheaper as a result of that. I'm going to stop there and just see if there's any questions that people might have. I think we have an ability to um, ask questions. Carolyn, I don't know if you're live. Yes, um, no questions waiting for you. So I'm um, not sure if you want to keep going. Okay, uh, so uh, the, the disclosure language will be on the on the recording of this and we'll post it and it'll be easy to find on our on our website uh, and if you have any questions please feel free to barrel them into us uh, cthwaites uh, cthwaits at uh, bnj advisors um got one question so i'll just take that before we sign off once a full reopening takes place will the hotel airline cruise companies be profitable or are they dealing with considerable debt now, that's a good question i'd say that they um the, the uh, airlines, yes, <laughs> they're, they're always going to struggle, I think, with their debt holdings. If you're going to hold a single airline, it would be Southwest because it doesn't have the international footprint and it, it's got a business model using a different hub and spoke system and they use one type of aircraft for their fleet. So, they, they, so if you're going to invest in an airline, that's probably the best one. Probably the one that's in the worst trouble is American Airlines. But, you know, for the last 20 years, they've had a pretty crappy balance sheet. Um, so I think they're going to still uh, struggle. They're just very, they're very cyclical businesses. They, uh, you know, it's all jet fuel and load and, um, and what prices they can charge. Um, I think they're horrible investments. I really do. But, uh, um, but they'll certainly be, you know, around and they, and they do get government uh, bailouts on a frequent basis. Hotel side. Um, yeah, it, Again, I, uh, I think some, some hotels are going to be fine. Um, some of them have got more debt than others. It's the airline industry, which I think is being you know, much more heavily indebted. The cruise, the cruise ship, the cruise airlines will be, the cruise operators will be fine. Uh, I think their problem is just, you know, coaching people back into, um, you know, into 800 foot containers where everyone's cheap by jowl. Um, so that, that I think they've got, still got more of a business problem. Any thoughts on the market going for around 300 days without a 5%-ish pullback? Um, yeah, we've got a little bit more than 5% back in February uh, or so, but it definitely is, um, it's a long run without a, without a pullback. Um, 
you know, the, 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 the stocks have delivered on earnings. Uh, there is liquidity, rates are low. Uh, people have been saving a lot of the um, extra money they made uh, during lockdown, and you know, whether it was government transfers or just not being able to, to spend as much as they were earning. Um, but yeah, I would, I would expect uh, at some point to have a little bit more of a correction than just the two to 3% numbers. Um, and there'll be something which I can't possibly think of right now, but you know, markets are always there to surprise us. Okay, thanks very much, everybody, and uh, we'll see you next month. This presentation is for general informational purposes only. References to an individual security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell that security. The securities mentioned in this commentary are only several of the successful as well as unsuccessful investments by us and do not represent all the securities we have purchased, sold, or recommended. Although we deem reliable the sources of statistical and other information referred to in this commentary, we cannot guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any statements or numerical data. Past performance is no indication of future results. Thank you.